Well, good morning, Arendelle Bible Chapel. May you have a seat. When you open the, your God's Word, we'll be continuing in John chapter 19. And as you're doing that, let me pray. Father, we come to you and uh, desiring to remember what your son did for us. Desiring to remember and reflect on what happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem on a hill called Golgotha. Father, may we be in awe of what your son did for us that day. We pray this in your son's name, in his name. Amen. Well, in 2003, a movie, uh, a new movie took the theaters by storm. This movie took the audience through a journey of a father who sought his son. His son had been abducted. As he begins looking for his son, the father meets an unlikely friend to help him on his journey. Her name was Dory. If you know the movie Finding Nemo, uh, you know that Dory dealt with short-term memory loss. Uh, so uh, moments throughout the movie, Dory would just forget uh, what they were doing. So he would just forget what their mission was. And this drove Nemo's dad mad. He wanted to find his son, but this, this, his helper, his friend, easily forgot the simplest things. While many of us are not Dory, we do not suffer from short-term memory loss. We all do suffer from forgetfulness. Uh, this may not be forgetfulness of dates or places, names, but forgetfulness of importance. Specifically, the importance of what Jesus did for us on the cross. As I began to think through what I would preach on this Good Friday, I began to think of how I could be creative. We've heard this message before. We've preached this text before. We've been here. We've sat in these seats, and we've been in Good Friday services. And I was like, okay, how can I present this differently? And I began to become convicted that I forgot why we celebrate Good Friday. Why we celebrate Good Friday every year, and it's because we are forgetful. So today I've entitled my message, our message for today, Our Need for Good Friday. Our need for this day to remember Christ's death on the cross. And I said this, we need Good Friday to be reminded of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We need Good Friday. You need Good Friday. I need Good Friday to remember the person and work of Jesus Christ. We will be looking at the passion narrative continuing the passion narrative in in the Gospel of John chapter 19. And we will look at these two ideas remembering the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus as he was the righteous sufferer. 
the person of Jesus as he was our true king. We will be reminded of the work of Jesus as he is the sacrificial lamb and the great conqueror. The gospel of John at this point and beginning in chapter 19 is in a very dark moment. At this point in the morning, the rooster has crowed. Peter has denied Jesus three times. Jesus has been before Annas. He's been before Caiaphas. He is now at the feet of, he's out, he's now before Pilate. Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. He has been betrayed by Peter. And the rest of his faithful men, his disciples, except for John, have dispersed in fear. And now Jesus stands before a Roman representative, enduring an unwarranted trial. And while unwarranted trial, it was a predestined trial. A predestined trial to take place before the creation of the world. And in this trial, we will see two aspects of the person of Jesus that we must be reminded of this Good Friday. And it begins with this, that Jesus was the righteous sufferer. Imagine the heaviness of this morning. Tired, beat up, flogged. Abandoned, mocked, slapped, degraded. Jesus continues to stand before an unjust trial. Jesus continues to stand before these earthly rulers. Pilate places a crown of thorns on his head, a purple robe covering his bloody back. Pilate marches him out before the crowd as a joke to mock him. The mob around him continues to grow. The crowd is yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus is fully aware of what this meant. Crucifixion is considered one of the worst forms of capital punishment known to humanity. The mob is claiming that Jesus is trying to overthrow the Roman government. Some are saying that he's broken the law. No matter what the accusation, they want Jesus dead and they want him killed brutally. Pilate, someone known for hating the Jews, found no guilt in Jesus. But Pilate knew that this crowd wanted Jesus dead. And for some reason, Pilate wanted to prevent that. We come into the Gospel of John. We come into chapter 19 where we see Jesus in a moment of great despair. And even in this suffering, we witness a magnificent character trait of Jesus. Even in this suffering, Jesus demonstrated gentleness, peace, patience, Self-control. Jim Hamilton writes this. Jesus could not be less threatening as he obeys his father. Like a lamb silent before its shearers, and yet there exists no greater threat to all impudent human rulers who refuse the warning from Psalm 2.12 to kiss the son lest he be angry. John 19.5 may contain the greatest display of humility, patience, self-control, restraint, and nobility ever seen in humanity. We come to the Gospel of John. We come to this chapter 19. We're witnessing Jesus suffering. And he suffers in a very 
patient, controlled, restraint way. I know if it was me, I saw crucifixion coming. I would not act the same. The question is why? Why was Jesus patient, controlled, enduring the suffering? And we come to John 19, 10 through 12 to 11. What we see is that even amidst this great trial, Jesus had dependence on his father. John 19, 10 through 11, Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus knew that his father had complete control over this situation. We actually see Jesus pray this in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 26, 39. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Matthew 26, 42, again for the second time he went and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus fully put his life into the hands of his Father. Jesus desired that his Father's will be done. Even in this intense moment of suffering, Jesus fully trusts his dad to care for him, to provide for him, to bring him out. That his dad's, his will, will be done. And while Pilate thought he had control, Pilate thought he had authority, Jesus knew who was truly sovereign that morning. It says in verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. Pilate knew that this was an unjust trial. Pilate knew that this was wrong, that Jesus was innocent. But no matter what Pilate thought he could do, Jesus knew what needed to be done. Pilate knew that this was an unjust trial. Pilate, Pilate knew that this mob had no reason to kill Jesus. But Pilate had no control over this decision. And it was not because of the mob. Jesus knew at the end of this day, it would only end up with him in the grave. And Jesus was okay with that. Because that was the will of his father. And Jesus knew the result of his death. So amazing as we, we look at this passage, we watch the enduring suffering of Jesus before he even entered Golgotha. Before he went onto the cross, the suffering he endured, the righteous sufferer he was for us. And he followed the will of his Father. Look how Philippians talks about this. We talked about this passage a few days ago, and it talked about how Jesus considered us more important than himself. Let's read, look at this, Philippians 2, 6 through 8, come from the NIV. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being 
made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the death, even death on the cross. Jesus knew what was taking place. It was not an accident. And the, Jesus becomes the greatest example of endurance through suffering that we could have. He is the righteous sufferer. And Jesus truly rested in the Father's hands as he fully gave himself into the hands of this mob. And he saw you and he saw me as more significant than himself in those moments. And Jesus knew the joy that awaited him at the end of this trial. The craziest aspect of this narrative is that while the religious leaders thought they had authority, while Pilate thought he had power, this suffering servant before them was the true king with real authority. And this brings us to our second part of why we need to be reminded of the person of Jesus this Good Friday. We need to be reminded of the person of Jesus this Good Friday because Jesus is the true king. Jesus referred to a king as referred to as king eight times in this passage. John 19:3, Hail King of the Jews, John 19:12. If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. John 19:14, he said to the Jews, Behold your king. 1915, and they cried out, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. John 1919, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. 1921, do you not, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. While neither Pilate or the nor the Jews truly understand who stood before them, John reiterates the word king so we would not miss it. Going back to verse 11, we see that Jesus knew that Pilate had no actual authority over this situation. Pilate actually had no power to send Jesus to the grave. Jesus gave up his own life. We actually see Jesus talk about this multiple times throughout the Gospel of John. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. John 10, 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. At the end of this passage in verse 30, we see that Jesus did not die, but he gave up his spirit. And what this demonstrates to us is the authority Jesus really had, the true king that was before Pilate that day, that he had the right to give up his life and no one took it. Jesus intentionally allowed himself to be captured. Jesus intentionally allowed himself to be put on trial. Jesus intentionally allowed himself to be crucified. Jesus intentionally allowed himself 
to die. And this was no accident. Jesus gave up his life for us. We see this throughout this. We see this twice in this chapter 19, actually, and then one more time later, where he did this to fulfill the scriptures. This is actually the, the plan all the time from the beginning. John wants us to see this. When he says fulfill the scriptures, he's saying, hey, look at this. This is something coming about. This is not something that just accidentally came to be. John 19, 24. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. What we see in this passage, what we see in this situation, that this was no mere accident. Jesus had the authority to give up his life. We actually see other Old Testament connections within this. We see the idea of the preparation of the Passover the day before the high priest would do their yearly sacrifice for the sins of the people. And it also adds that Jesus, when he received the wine, it was from the hyssop branch, which was the type of branch used in the, by the Hebrews in Egypt to mark their houses with blood to protect their house that first Passover evening. And what was clear was all of this was intentional, like a beautiful artwork where every stroke has a purpose we begin to see that King Jesus used his kingly authority to not invoke his power, but lay down his life for me and for you. The question they have is, how did they treat their king? John nineteen fifteen says, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. That day the Jews chose a king who would brutally oppress them. A king whose heir 30 years later would destroy their country. While before them stood a king who had all authority in the world but laid it down. And was willing to be brutally killed for them. Crucified for you. Face the wrath of God for me. As we reflect this Good Friday, we reflect on the personhood of Jesus. We reflect on the reality that Jesus suffered greatly for us. He endured suffering with patience, control, gentleness. We also reflect that Jesus was the true king who laid down his life even though he had all authority not to. The question I have for you is who is your king? Who has authority over your life? Who holds your allegiance? Well, we don't worship a crazy dictator. 
We have sin that calls us to give it our full allegiance day after day. If you're not a Christian here, why have you you've pledged your life to an evil taskmaster? Master. John 10.10 10 says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Who holds your allegiance? As Christians, we can be like Dory. Short-term memory loss. Quick to forget. Quick, quick to forget the suffering Jesus did. Quick to forget the true authority Jesus had. Why he is so good. We can so easily be like the Jews and say, we have no king but Caesar. And while Caesar, again, may not be a crazy dictator, that dictator can still destroy your life. He can steal your peace, your joy, your life, which only comes from walking with God. That dictator will rob you of your flourishing, which you have been promised as we enjoy God. The flourishing that only comes in the eternal life as we have knowing God. This Good Friday, as we reflect on the person of Jesus, the personhood of Jesus, may we reaffirm our allegiance to our true King, who suffered greatly on our behalf, who laid down his life for us. Not only are we, we are called to reflect on the person of Jesus, we're called to reflect on the work of Jesus. This comes from verses 16 through 30. John takes us through the crucifixion of Jesus here. It's really interesting. There's not much talked about. There's little emotion actually given in these words. We see that Pilate, under the authority God, has now given Jesus into the hands of the Jews. The Jews will soon crucify their king. The Jews will show who they truly pledge their allegiance to. And this brings us to the first work of Jesus that we must be reminded of this Good Friday. We need to be reminded of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. We need to be reminded of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. Verses 16 through 27 show that Jesus really did die on the cross. We're 2,000 years removed from this incident, but he really did die. John 19, 16c through 18. So they took Jesus and went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in the Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Sometimes we are so far removed from this situation, we forget that Golgotha is a real place. And on that day stood three real crosses that Jesus' real wrist and his feet were nailed so that he might hang to die. And despite that brutality, Jesus feared something far greater than a Roman cross. Because on that cross, Jesus really did face the wrath of God for us. Look how Paul refers to this moment in history from Colossians 2, 13 
through 15. And you, talking about us in the Colossian church, who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? This is, he explains how he does this. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. On the cross 2,000 years ago, while Jesus was hanging there, he did not fear the Roman cross. He feared the wrath of God that he would be placed on his shoulders for you and for me. And this is sobering reality. Because it reminds me that sin is real. Sin is deadly. And we know that God must punish all sin. Every sin that ever has been committed by any human being will face the wrath of God either on the cross or on themselves. Every ounce of your sin, every ounce of mine. And when we look to the cross on this Good Friday, we see the horrendousness of sin that took place, which only the Son of God could take. While Pilate gave him over to the Jews, the Jews took him to Golgotha. We nailed him to the cross. Our sin put him there. My sin put him there. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then on that cross, Jesus paid all of your wrath. You pay none. He really did face the righteous anger of his father that day. While this is sobering, it's also encouraging. Because I know God will destroy evil. Over this last few months, we have read reports of what's kind of taken place in Ukraine. If you read the reports, it, it almost turns your stomach a little bit. You've heard the ugliness of what has happened, and you wonder, oh God, why do you allow this? The brokenness, the pain, the hurt. Why does this evil exist? But when I look to the cross, do you know what I see? That God, you will destroy evil. That every one of those sins that may have never been seen except from one person will be seen by a holy God who will pay the punishment on those people. There is no sin that will go unpunished even if it's on the other side. The cross reveals that God will be just. He will Show his wrath against all sin. And not just the Putins of the world, but my evil too. My sin must be paid for. And this shows us the depth of God's love, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his only son. That he would be willing to send his son for me. To take on my wrath for my sin, my shame, my lying, my darkness. Between Nevada and Arizona border, there holds a magnificent engineering work known as the Hoover Dam. The Hoover Dam blocks the Colorado River and creates what they call Lake Mead. 
Lake Mead is one of the largest man-made lakes in the world. With an area of around 640 square kilometers, with the greatest depth of about 162 meters. The dam stands at 221 meters, which is about a 60-story high building. Its thickness is 200 meters. Behind that dam stands 32.24 trillion liters of water. Now imagine standing at the foot of that dam. You stand looking up at that 60 stories worth of concrete. And you begin to see cracks in the wall. You begin to see water spray out. You stand there knowing there's nowhere to go. As the dam breaks open, 32 trillion liters of water comes now rushing at you. You stand in awestruck fear, not knowing what to do. And at the last second, a crack opens up, absorbs every ounce of it. And you are not touched by even a mist. Not even the smallest molecule of water hits you. On the cross that day 2,000 years ago, Jesus absorbed every last inch of your wrath. You will never face a second of God's anger if you are in Christ. Not even the mist will touch you. This is the extent of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. He took the full force of God's wrath. And if you are in Christ, then you will never face that. Because on that first Good Friday, Jesus absorbed it all. Jim Hamilton again says this. The righteous life has been lived. The greatest demonstration of humility and love has been accomplished. Exact obedience to every righteous requirement of the Father has been maintained. The full measure of the Father's wrath has been poured out. The cup has been drained into the dregs. The penalty of sin has been paid. The substitute has taken place of his people. Atonement has been made for every one of their innumerable transgressions. The stains have been made clean. The Father's wrath propitiated. The law's demand fulfilled. The pains of the people taken. Guilt forgiven. Old made new. Salvation accomplished. Love demonstrated. Truth upheld. Mercy lavished. Brokenness healed. Evil unplugged. Satan defeated. The promise of life has been made. And it was finished. And how beautiful to celebrate this Good Friday, being reminded of this truth that Jesus truly paid it all. And as we reflect on this, we reflect on the sacrificial lamb who that preparation of this Passover truly paid the sins for the sins of the world. Truly paid the wrath of God for you and for me. And that brings us to our last point that we need to be reminded of Jesus, the great conqueror. We're reminded of the person of Jesus who suffered greatly. We're reminded of the true authority of Jesus who was the right king. We're reminded of the work of Jesus on the cross. And now we're reminded of the great conqueror of Jesus. And when he said, it is finished, he meant it. 
some of the most profound and beautiful words of Scripture. Throughout the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus has been relentless to make known that his work was not done. John 4.34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 5.36, But the testimony that I have is I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And now the moment has come. The work of Jesus has been accomplished. John 19, 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Three times in this verse, in these three verses, John uses the word derived from this idea of finished or accomplished, complete. John actually intentionally uses a different word to describe the fulfillment of Scripture as this idea of accomplishment. And how beautiful that reality is. Jesus really did accomplish his work. He really did finish his mission. And John wants us to see that. That this is the moment that we've been waiting for. This is the moment in the gospel we have been waiting for. This is the moment in history we have been waiting for. This is the moment in scripture we have been waiting for. This is the moment the universe has been waiting for. Jesus fulfilled his mission. What did Jesus win for us? comes in verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation, so the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. For the Sabbath was the high day. What we see in verse 31 is almost a, almost a picture of what we actually receive. When Jesus died on the cross and, and, and took on the wrath of God for us, we now receive the true rest. The true rest that Adam and Eve had before sin. The true rest that we will now have in eternity with God. We will get to experience the true Sabbath. The abundant life. The eternal life. Through his death on the cross for us. In a world that was now it was in chaos can now have peace. People who are at odds with God can now be one with him. The world who has been against God from the beginning can now be together with their creator. Brothers and sisters, as we Come here this Good Friday. We sit. We reflect. We're reminded. Let's be careful to not be dory Christians. With short-term memory loss. It's easy to forget what Jesus did for us that first Good Friday. It's easy to look past of the work that Christ did for you and for me. And let's use today to reflect on the humble king whose sacrifice completely accomplished so much for us. Let me pray. Father, we come. 
And Lord, as we, 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 we looked at your word, we see what your son has done for us. May we be reflecting on the cost of the cross. That Jesus really did pay the full wrath that I deserve. May I never forget what you did on the cross for me. May I never become normalized to the wrath that your son fully took on for my behalf. God, may we not forget. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.